If you have a Bible, let's open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 as we continue our journey through this book, which is so beautiful. I don't think I realized how awesome it is. You know, um, of course, we know that every book in the Bible is uh, inspired by God, profitable for us. But sometimes you go through Ecclesiastes and it's a little struggle. But then when you start digging in, you realize how beneficial it is. Now, uh, most of you probably know that the Greek word for church is ecclesia, ecclesia. And so it means the called out ones. It means like an assembly. And so this book, in one sense, is kind of like some people will say it's like a preacher talking to an assembly. And now we know that Solomon, who wrote this, he, uh, he's kind of going through, um, he's been through a lot. Unfortunately, he did not stay on track. He unfortunately backslid for a season. He had too many wives, too much money, multiplied horses. The guy that started off so well, unfortunately, did not finish well. And so you see some of that reflected in here. Some of the things you'll see um, are, are just, you, you wonder, you know, that's not as solid as we might think. But it's good to go through because we know that people in the world, they have a lot of these questions. And so it's good for us as a church to glean. But some of the things are so amazing. For example, in verse 1, it, it asks the question, who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A, man wisdom, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. Such a, a great verse. Um, the New Living Translation puts it this way. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. And you know, verse 1, I think what he's asking is, man, the, the wise man, who is like a wise man? They're, they're, they're rare, you know, unparalleled, none like him or her. Who's like her? Who's like him, this wise person, right? Uh, and just the ability to have the uh, capacity to interpret things. Now, the, for us as Christians, we, we go right away to the Bible, you know? Because someone who does, is not wise, they'll read the Bible, they don't know what it means. But when you grow in the Lord and you just let the Holy Spirit teach you and you start digging in and you love God's word, then you begin to understand the interpretation. You know, God's word was given to us via revelation. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, he offers illumination. But then we can have the interpretation. Now I know what it means uh, to the original recipients, what it means to me, and then there's application, and that's wisdom. And when you start getting like that as a Christian, you know, then this is a wise man, and they're very, a wise woman, they're very rare. Who is like that? Very, very rare. Notice what it does. A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. And so here's, the, the, I was thinking as I was going through the text, of course, the whole chapter is great, but I was just thinking, Lord, I could just end there. You know, because when the Lord does a work in your life, you change. You change. Before, you used to get mad right away. Right away. Someone says something to you, boom, you're in their face. Boom, you get retaliate. But then, you know, when the Lord begins to change you, the, 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 there's like more long-suffering. You have a long fuse, and you don't get angry for the, right, the wrong reasons. And, you know, you start suppressing the pride, and you ask God to give you humility. I mean, and, and so 
the thing that I've noticed really over the you know, 30 years I've been a Christian and the 50 years I've been alive plus is that people don't change that much. You know, you go to a person 20 years later, they're the same. And they've been walking with the Lord. They've been going to church. Some of them have been involved in ministry. And they're still the same. They're stuck in their sins. They're stuck in their habits and their routines and their ruts. And all I, all I know, I was listening to a song on the way over here by Micah, Micah Tyler. I think that's his name. I want to be different. Uh, I'm not the man I want to be. You know, I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm not the man I want to be. I want to change. I want there to be progress. And so that's what happens when you get into the word. You know, your face, it shines. The harshness, it goes away. It says right there, the sternness is changed. You know, it brings about a change that is evident. And that's why he mentions the face, because you can see it in their face, you know. Of course, we know right away when we read this passage, we think of Moses. When Moses went into the presence of God, he came out. And you guys remember what has happened to his face? Do you guys remember? It shined. It was glowing because he was spending time with God. You know, uh, the same thing with Stephen. When they looked at him, they said, this guy has like the face of an angel. You know, if you really want to change your face, you're going to have to change your heart. And so let me give you just three things that are basic stuff for us as Christians uh, as far as how we can do this. Number one is by being in the Bible, being in the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in, in verse 18, it talks about that. And it's interesting because that passage, it goes back to Moses and it says, when Moses was spending time with the Lord, his, his glory, it faded away. It faded away. And it says that's why they put a veil over him because his glory, it faded away. But we, with unveiled face, we don't fade away. We're beholding as in a mirror, which is the Bible, the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed from glory to glory, stronger and stronger, more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more in love with Jesus, more loving people. And so I'm telling you, there is power when you're reading your Bible with an open heart. So number one, the word. Number two is fellowship. Fellowship. And I think for the men, probably if there is one verse that they would say is our theme verse, it's Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, where it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Right? And so you guys have sharpened, sharpened a knife, or maybe, you know, you got some gardening tools or whatever you sharpened before. There's that friction that takes place, right? And so, you know, you sharpen it, you sharpen it, you fellowship together, you know, you're breaking it down, you're chopping it up, you're talking about the Bible, uh, I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I want to encourage you, talk about the Lord, talk about the Bible, talk about the Bible study. You know, I, I love where I am with my wife right now because it just seems like that's really all we talk about. We talk about the Lord. And a lot of people, they never talk about the Lord. They'll come to church, maybe sit in, but afterwards they're talking about everything else. And they don't have time in the Word. They don't have time in fellowship. There's not that friction going on because... As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about the Lord, you're fellowshipping together, it changes your heart, and then it, and it's reflected in your face. So we're talking about real time in the Word, real time in fellowship, and then real time in prayer. Remember what happened to Jesus in Luke 9.29? It says, as he prayed... 
The appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And so I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Start praying obediently. I don't know what the Lord has for you. You're not the same as me, but I know the Lord told Peter, man, what's up with you? You couldn't even pray for an hour? The devil's been asking for you to sift you as wheat, and you just keep falling asleep? So you have to ask the Lord what your divine details will be. You know, praying with your wife, praying with your kids, praying on your knees, praying on your face. You know, praying with other people. Some of you guys, you're doing great. I praise God for that. But most of the church is not praying. I'm not talking about real quick when you're going to have your double-double. Lord, thank you for this. It's so good. And that's it. That's it for the day. No, really, like, you know, my wife and I, today, we had the opportunity to pray through our church app, go through all those requests. And you may think it's a lot, you know, because there's a lot of names. And yeah, you might not be able to camp out on all the names, but you make mention of them before the Lord. And you just know it makes a difference. Your face will change. Your heart will change. But I think a lot of times people are doing all the other so-called Christian stuff, and they're not really spending that time with God. So, I love this verse, who is like a wise man and and who knows the interpretation of a thing, a man's wisdom and makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. But I just want to tell you that if you do change, you're going to be rare because not that many people change. Change is rare. But I'll bet you some of us would be blessed if God changed certain things about us. I wonder if you have anything in your life that you need to change. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You need to go from Saul to Paul. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're still not letting God rule over your life. You need to go from being a Jacob to an Israel. Jacob is a manipulator, a hill catcher. Israel means governed by God. You know, maybe you need to go. You know, to I remember when the Lord uh, first called James and John into the ministry. They were haters. You know, they said, "Hey, Lord, call fire down from heaven." Uh, to Samaria because they're not really going with us. And the Lord said, you guys have no idea what you're saying. Eventually, though, John became a man of great love. So prayerfully, there'll be growth. Prayerfully, there'll be change, although it's rare. Leo Tolstoy, he said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. That's where we need to be. And yet, that's what we need. Ron Lee Davis, he said, In this life, we will encounter hurts and trials that we will not be able to change. We are just going to have to allow them to change us. And that's where we need to be. Verse 2, Solomon says, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing. For he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And and many who say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. And, And believe it or not, it's crazy how applicable these things really are. You know, he says, keep the king's commandment. Uh, for the sake of your oath to God. Um, You know, think of back then, try to put yourself in their place, even think of who wrote this, Solomon, he was king, right? And so when kings rule, I mean, we're talking about a monarchy. It's not a republic, it's not a democracy. 
In those days, a monarch was one man with all that power, just ruling, right, with absolute power. And so, of course, it would be foolish to come against the king, right, to question the king, uh, unless we're going to see later in Acts 5.29, unless the king clearly commands you to violate God's command. Then it's different. But if the king says to me, jump, I say, how high? If the king says to me, jump, uh, you know, uh, drive 25 miles an hour, I drive 25 miles an hour. If the king tells me I can't preach in the name of Jesus, well, that's different. But other than that, I do what the king tells me to. And if his police officers tell me to stick them up, I'm going to put my hands up in the air. If he tells me to get out of my car and put my hands on the hood, I'm going to do that. Why? Because, you know, it's for safety. But it's also for uh, the sacred oath that I have to God. Romans chapter 13. It's the Bible. The Bible says that we are to submit to those who are ruling, to governing authorities. Because, you may, not be, you may not believe this, God put them there. God allowed them to be there. God's got something going on. See, and you know when Paul wrote that, it wasn't a Christian president. It, it, was, it was Caesar. God put him there. So for us, we got to understand the way it works. Right here, Solomon says, hey, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Don't be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand against him for an evil thing because he does whatever he wants. And so he, he makes it clear. You know, back then, the king Solomon, he did kill a lot of people when he first started his uh, uh, rain. We know that he killed people like uh, Joab and Shimei and Adonijah, right, as he established it. And so all I'm saying, and you parents, I think you probably do this as Christians, but if you ever get pulled over, <laughs> you know, if the, if the governor tells you to do something that doesn't go against the commands of God, then we are called to be submissive because of our oath to God and because of safety's sake, right? So, um, if it's true of human kings, I, I was just thinking me, and immediately I go to the one king that we have now, and that's Jesus, right? The king of kings. And so, you know, we're living in a world where, you know, as a church, they were telling us, you know, you can't meet in person. And if, first, when we were trying to figure out this whole coronavirus thing, you know, we yielded to them and we did the live stream. But it didn't take long for us to say, you know what? The church is essential. And doesn't matter what the governor says, we're going to meet. You know, and so we met and we opened it up to whoever wanted to come. There has to be that aspect of it, Acts 5.29. You know, God commands me this. You command me complete contrary, then I'll, I'm going to do what God says. But other than that, if it's not clearly against God then we have to yield. And that's what we're seeing here. That, that whole aspect of submission is very important. When I was uh, you know, an, an assistant pastor, the whole aspect of submission was very important to me. When I'm around my police officers, when I'm around my pastor, you know, that, the whole aspect of submission, it goes all the way up to God. To God. And that's why we have to cultivate that heart. You know, you teach your children this, and, it's, and we're going to see it's very important. You know, three things right here that were interesting to me. He says to keep the king's commandments. And so who's the king of kings? Jesus. Keep his commandments. 
Secondly, he says, um, don't uh, be hasty to go from his presence. And I thought that was cool. Lord, I'm going to stay in your presence because you're my king. Thirdly, he says, don't stand for an evil thing. And so you have to make sure that, you know, you don't do this against the Lord. And then the last thing is kind of interesting. He basically says, don't even question the king, right? Um, What we find right here, do not take your stand for an evil thing. That king, he does whatever pleases him. Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? You know, we, we sometimes might say, Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, what are you doing? But in, in the same breath, and the same heart, I trust you. I trust you, right? Because we know that he is accomplishing his purposes. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 5 in the New Living Translation, it says, those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. Verse 6, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. And so for every matter there is a time and judgment. And so have you guys learned that in life? Remember back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8, we were reminded that timing is everything, right? And so it's not just what we do, but it's when we do what we do. It's not just what we say, it's when we say what we say, even if we're going to say it. And so I think when you start listening to Solomon, you start actually like living life. We talked about a wisdom literature, living life successfully, living the full life, F-U-L-L, not the full life, F-O-O-L. And we're realizing, I want to be wise. I got to make my face shine. I got to get my heart right. It starts there. And then there's this whole heart of submission, submission ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Did you ever think about that? That when you signed up for this, that when you placed your faith in him, you called him Lord the Lord and Savior of my life. That means he tells me what to do. He tells me everything about my life, what to think, what to say, what to look at. See, it's, when you start looking at this stuff, it's like, man, it's basic, getting my heart right so it will change my face. You know, I won't be harsh. I'm going to be nice. I mean, you name it. And then here we talk about when it comes to dealing with things, we're not one of those who work hastily. Timing is huge. Timing is so important. You know, Warren Worsby said this, discernment is needed to know the right procedure for the right time. The impulsive person who rants or overreacts or storms out of the room probably only makes the problem worse. Wisdom helps us understand people and situations better and how to figure out the right action at the right time. And so timing, we're we're learning that, how important it is. Right away we want to go in. Nathan didn't do it right away. He prayed. He prayed for the right time and God showed him, right? And so um, I think we've all heard that saying or maybe we've quoted it ourselves Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Those who are wise will find a time and a way 
to do what is right. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If you're ever facing a situation or maybe something needs to be done, you have to find the right time and the right way to do it. And that's all he's saying. That's all he's saying. Verse 7, it says, For he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. And so, you know, here, a, a little difficult to understand. Um, I know that he does say there in verse 7, if he does not know what will happen, then who can tell when it will occur? Of course, if we don't know what, we're not going to know when. But what's he talking about here? And, and so there's different views on it. It's hard to figure out. Maybe he's talking about death because he does move on to that. Um, maybe he's talking about a situation that you have going down with the king that needs to be dealt with in, in a certain way. Maybe your boss at work, maybe somebody in your family. Um, maybe it's just areas of judgment. Um, and, and so what we see right here is only Jesus has the power to release or commit his spirit to the Father. You know, notice again what it says in verse 8. No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. And so when that day comes, you know, it's not up to us, right? You know, the Lord Jesus is the exception to that because remember when he was on the cross in Luke chapter uh, 23, verse 46, remember when he was done redeeming us from our sins? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he can say when, but not us, right? And so only Jesus has that power. Verse 9, he says, All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. And so Solomon here is, is saying, I've seen this. We're going to see it later. He says the same thing. We've gone through life with eyes wide open. We've experienced these things. And what we find right here under the sun, I've even studied it. Again, verse 9, all this I've seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. He says right here that there's a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Now, it's interesting because if you have different translations, they actually say completely different things. So here's one way of looking at it, that you're, you're ruling, you're serving you're leading, you're sacrificing, which is what servants should do, and you, in one sense, you suffer for it. For example, that's what happened to Jesus when he led, when he ruled, um, when he died. And I think that for us as Christians, that's a really good principle because that's what Jesus said. He said, you know, the, the people in the world, they like to lord it over others, but for you as Christians, it's not supposed to be that way. Um, for you, if you're a, a, a diakonos, then you're going to be you're going to be great. And if you want to be the greatest, then become a doulos, become a slave for all. And so, let me ask you a question: If you become that type of leader, servant leader, you've given up your life. 
Will there be any sacrifices? Will there be any pain? Will there be any spiritual warfare? Will, there, will it hurt? Yeah. Maybe that's what Solomon is talking about. Others say, you know, that sometimes you get these rulers oppressing others and they hurt them, of course. And that seems like something that, you know, unfortunately it happens too often, but that's something that we think, I, I think we see, and that with the ability to hurt others, it may fit the context better when you're thinking about the king and all that's going on. Verse 10, he says, Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. Notice again in verse 10, he said, I've seen this, I've seen this. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And so um, Warren Worsby believes that Solomon maybe attended a funeral and this guy that died was a jerk. This guy that died was wicked. This guy that died was someone that did a lot of bad. But when he went to the funeral, which happens a lot of times, that the individual was eulogized as some great person. You know, it's interesting how it says right here that he saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness. It could be somebody that was religious, somebody that was maybe working there or serving there in the temple. And where it says they were forgotten, it might mean that the things that they did in that city that they lived in that, that, was, that was not good, it seems like they, they forgot all about it, right? And so um, he says, this is vanity. This is vanity. To Solomon, as he sees that, and we're going to see later, he, see, he looks and he says, man, all these wicked people, they're getting away with it. No, they're not getting away with it. Because when he's, when he's looking at things, he's looking at things just according to the earthly perspective. We can never look at things that way. We can't. You know, under the sun, S-U-N, it's just the earth, but under the sun, S-O-N, is completely different. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, because wouldn't it be cool, you guys, if someone did a crime and boom, right there, man, they just, they just died or something and they got arrested. I mean, you know, would that be preventative? Absolutely. But now you, I was reading some article on, on people on death row, one guy that strangled three women and he waited on death row for 40 years. Does that, does that sound right? Absolutely not. He's like, oh, people out there, they're like, oh, I'll do the crime. And, you know, I still go get me another, I think the average death row is now 17 years. I still get another 17 years, even if I get caught. 40% don't get caught. And so you look at that, someone might look at that, and you know what they'll say? Where's your God? Where's your God? Look at all this evil that's going on. And, you know, it doesn't happen right away. You know what? It doesn't happen suddenly but it will happen for eternity. Think about that. Psalm is looking at this and he just says, man, these guys, it's in their heart. They're going to do it because they know that it doesn't happen right away. But for us as Christians, we know, I know if I get out of line, I know if I start backsliding, if I start looking at pornography, if I get high, if I get drunk, if I do anything that's wrong, I know God's going to deal with me now, maybe not right away, 
but your sin will find you out. And you just never know. Maybe the things that people are experiencing are because of their sin and they think they got away with it and they're living, like the Bible talks about how he forgave their sins, but, you know, they suffered the consequences. So for us, I mean, prayerfully, we have, notice it says right there, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. How about if we did this, you guys? The heart of the sons of God, the daughters of God, were fully set in them to do good. How about if we had that? Because it always goes back to the heart, doesn't it? Verse 12, it says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, Yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. You know, I don't know. It's okay to ask you guys, right? Is it okay to ask? Do you fear God? Do you fear him? Like if I do the wrong thing, it's going to hurt him. Like if I do the wrong thing, I might get a trancaso. Like if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to suffer as a result of that. A healthy fear of God is so important for us. Do you realize what God wants to do with your life? Do you realize that God wants to use you to raise people from the dead? Do you realize that God wants to use your life to take people to heaven? Do you realize that God, and I think about it even in the church context, we don't win them all. We don't win them all. But a lot of the, what's going on in the church is so cool because people are growing and families are staying together, even through the tough times. You know, people are experiencing joy. They are experiencing change. God wants to use your life. But what ends up happening, even in the church, is people are so caught up in the world. They're so caught up doing those things. You know, and you get together with your friends, and what do you do? Nothing nothing about the Lord. Nothing about the Lord. And there you are with your friends, and you're shining as a Christian. This is your opportunity. And I'm not saying you've got to preach to them all the time. But if you're a Christian, shouldn't there be some sort of witness, some sort of, hey, you know? And so I encourage you guys to have that passion, you know, to have that fear of God. You know, here we see a sinner, he does evil a hundred times, and, and it seems like he just lives it, right? And, and, you know, surely, he says, I know that it will be well with those who fear God and who fear before him, but not, not with the wicked. And so, even if a man lives long, because we can't change our date with death, even if he lived a hundred years, if he does evil, Solomon says it's not going to be good for him afterwards, it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, who hear God, you know? I mean, I just pray that we would have that, that heart, you guys. Verse 14 says, There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Have you guys ever seen that? Where someone, they're living crazy lives and you look at them and man, they got the, whatever, whatever your perception is. They got the nice car, the nice house, the nice job, 
you know, the whatever, the family, the dog, the white picket fence, and it just seems like they're blessed. And, you know, then you look at this one over here, and they're, they love the Lord, and they're just so on fire for God, but they're living in a tent. And you're like, Lord, how does that work? We keep going back to this. In Psalm 73, remember the Psalm of Asaph, he said, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, and sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Other times, I think for those of you guys who are Christians who can see deeper, you can see past that, huh? You can see even though the guy has the crazy nice car and house and all that kind of stuff, you can see he's empty. You can see that, huh? Because only God fills the void within us. But sometimes we look at things superficially and we don't realize that. You know, the godly man or woman, they get punished. They don't prosper, it seems like, when we look at it. Or the ungodly man or woman, they get rewarded as if they were living a righteous life. Let me just tell you guys this. Keep doing right. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep loving God. Keep loving the Lord. Keep reading your Bible so that you can obey it. Keep praying, knowing that he hears you. Keep fellowshipping. You know, whether you see the reward here, and I know you're going to see things that are so good, or if it all ends up there on that side of time, it's going to be worth it. You know, when you, when you look at what's going on in our world, perhaps in one sense there is an aspect of vanity that occurs on earth. It just doesn't seem fair. You know, if that's the way it ends, yeah, then it wouldn't be. But there is never, ever any vanity for those who live spiritually, for those who live with eternity in their hearts. And so that's where we have to understand. You know, when you think about someone like Joseph, here is a guy who was probably 17 years old, probably in his sexual prime, and then there was a woman, you know, Potiphar's wife. She cast longing eyes on him. He could have got away with it. He could have just got away with it. So simple, right? But he said, and he had it in his heart, how can I do this wickedness against God? Right? And so what did he get for that? He got arrested. The whole world is doing it. The whole world is not waiting until they get married. And you guys as a church, you know, you guys are telling me I'm supposed to wait as I get mar- until I get married. It's not the church telling you that. It's God telling you that. God knows what's best. So Joseph stays pure. He gets arrested for it. And he's not there for a week or two weeks or just even a year. He's there for years in jail for doing the right thing. But then you guys know what happened, huh? God was working out a plan and God was testing him. And through the difficult times, he stayed on track. He kept his faith. And, you know, when these guys had dreams or, you know, the Joseph was able to interpret their dreams. And, uh, and you know, I, I think when you look at the story right there, you know, he says, well, I can't, I can't do it. God can do it. God is the one who can interpret dreams even in jail, even sold into slavery, even, you know, sold by his brothers, put in a pit, all that he went through, he never lost this, this faith. And it wasn't just like some casual faith. I mean, this guy had fire. This guy had passion. This guy was focused. The Lord was with him the whole time. 
You know, and when, I'm, when we're talking about this, you guys, I pray you would know it's not like just churchy stuff. It's not just religion. It's this personal, intimate, powerful relationship that we have with God. And so you guys know what happened. He interpreted their dreams. I'll bet you almost anything, if he interpreted their dreams, he could have interpreted his own dream. And he had an inkling, although most of us here probably don't know the details, I believe pretty much you start getting with God and he's going to give you a roadmap as to how he wants to use your life. How I believe he's going to, he can use your life in a great way. I believe that if you say, here am I, send me, I promise you, God will use you in a great way. Joseph kind of had that encouragement. He's like, man, I remember those dreams. I remember those dreams. There was something special about those dreams. So I will not lose heart. I will not get sidetracked. What a difference between him and Solomon. How many Christians really are experiencing everything that God wanted them to experience? How many? Very few, very few. So for us, we're looking at this and we're like, okay, Lord, um, this is what I want in my life. You know, when you look at Joseph and how God used him, you look at individuals like like Daniel who suffered and Paul who suffered. Um, it's a crazy, you know, we realize, hey, that's kind of how it works. This righteous guy ends up, you know, going through difficult times, but you don't lose heart. And watch what God does. Verse 15, he says, So so I commended, interesting how Solomon gets here. So I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. And so um, basically what Solomon says now, and you know, you got to understand, this guy is not full bore for the Lord, but he basically says, um, I think that we should just like enjoy life, like have fun. When I read this, I'm kind of have mixed emotions. Let me ask you guys a question. Are you supposed to enjoy your food? How many of you say yes? How many say no? <laughs> Some of you will say no. You, you gotta eat. It's interesting how you cultivate even a taste for food that's good for you. But I will say this. I think that God wants us to enjoy our food. Does he want you to enjoy your beverages, your juice? Yeah. Is it okay to have fun? Is that okay? Is it okay for a Christian to go to Magic Mountain? That's a, <laughs> if they're crazy, right? <laughs> Is it okay to smile? Of course it is. Is, is it okay to be cheerful? Yes, it's, a, it's an absolute blessing. And Solomon keeps talking about this. Just in case you ever come across those Christians who are stoics or ascetics, no, you can't have fun and you got to fast you know, every day and whatever. No, um, there is an aspect where we, we enjoy. Warren Wiersbe said for the, for the fourth time, Solomon told his congregation to enjoy life and delight in the fruit of their labors. Uh, he said it earlier in chapter 2, verse 24, and chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 5, verse 19, he's saying it repeatedly. This admonition is not foolish. Eat, drink, and be merry. F- this, I'm sorry, this admonition is not the foolish eat, drink, and be merry philosophy of the unbelieving hedonist. 
Rather, it is the positive outlook of God's children who accept life as God's special gift and know that he gives us richly all things to enjoy. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17. So instead of complaining about what we don't have, we give thanks for what we do have and we enjoy it, right? But look what he says again. And you'll notice verse 15. So I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun. Is that true? Nothing better to do than to eat, drink, and be merry. And perhaps if it were just life under the sun, S-U-N, just this life, then maybe what he's saying is true. But we have been promised life under the S-O-N. And there's so much more to this life, right? I mean, what we have to understand is that God has given us a mission. You know, one of the, my favorite passages is in John chapter 4, where the people, um, the disciples, they brought food to Jesus, and he had need, and I think he was tired. He'd been walking for a long time. And uh, he basically uh, said, no, it's okay. I don't want any food right now. And they're like, Lord, why, why not someone else feed you? And he said, you know what? I, I, I was fed another way right now. My food is to do the will of my Father and to finish the work. It's better than ribeye. It's better than, you know, tortillas with frijoles and queso and salsa. It's better than all that stuff. And so enjoy your food. You know, to me, when it comes to eating, it's all about people. I mean, it is about food too, I have to admit. I like pizza and everything. I like food. I mean, pretty much every food. Um, But it is about people. So you guys enjoy that, enjoy life. They say that you were created to exalt God and enjoy God. So make sure you do that. But know that there, there's so much more for us as Christians. You know, so you got to get up and you have to go and you have to serve him. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty two, if in the manner of men I have fought with the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it, it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And so it's not just this life, not just this life. No, there's a life afterwards. And so uh, it's more than just eating, drinking, and being merry. I think it all goes back to this, you guys. What, what is the Lord telling you to do? You know, my pastor would always ask me that. Hey, Manny, what's the Lord uh, showing you? And I'd be like, um, I'm not sure. You know, I, would always, I knew he was going to ask me. I should start asking you guys that, huh? Because you want to know why? Like, if I were to ask you tonight, what has God been saying to you? Would you have an answer? Would you be able to say, you know what? Lately, the Lord has been making this clear. Lately, the Lord has been telling me this. You know, today when I was praying, the Lord just said, you need more power. And I said, Lord, explain to me. And I'm talking to God. I said, explain to me the Holy Spirit a little bit. And he said, Manny, look next to you to that car, because I was in my garage. He said, see that car right there? It has an engine inside of it, right? And Manny, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I said, okay. So Lord, what does it mean when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, well, now you can take that car. And I know it's a big vehicle, two tons and all that. But what if that car was driving, riding down the road 
And then I just gave this wind, this rush. I mean, this most powerful you know, wind you ever saw. You ever seen these winds that blow these cars? I mean, the houses down? What if I did that? It's kind of like he told me, he said, that's an illustration of how the Holy Spirit, yes, is in you with that engine. But then what if there's a wind that blows? And then he told me this. He said, and I want to give you three words, and you know how I'm weird? God made me weird. He said, number one, there has to be power in your life. Because if you're just walking on your own strength, there's no power. When there's power, there will be peace. And then there will be prosperity. And I tell you what, the Lord has been speaking in so many ways. And so what I'm saying is that You know, for us, it has to be that type of relationship with God. What's the Lord been showing you? And if you're here tonight and you're like, well, I'm not really sure. Like, you know, your your mind is vague and there's nothing there. Then this is what I'm just going to say to you tonight. Start listening. Start listening. And he'll start speaking. You'll, You'll hear his voice. Verse 16, it says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep or day day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. And so verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to, to see the, the business that's done on the earth, basically Solomon, he said, I'm, I'm going to study this like we saw earlier. I don't want to see it. I want to study it. I want to learn everything. I want to learn everything. I want to figure it out. I want to get to the bottom of it. You know, basically what Solomon says is that it's not going to happen. I, I can't because no man can know everything that's going on. That's what he says. So we do our best. God will show us the things that we need to know. But then like Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that secret things belong to the Lord. So he says, these are the things that I I show you. They're clear. But sometimes for us as Christians, we're not going to know a lot. I I think that is the way it works. You know, Isaiah 55, 9, it says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about how high it is to heaven from earth. He says, that's how high my ways are in comparison to you. And so that's why we have to pray. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, there it is, It surpasses all understanding. will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we try to figure out our life. And God says, just take it one step at a time. You know, figure out what you can. But accept the fact that there's going to be a lot of things that you don't understand. And as life goes on, you know, there's probably going to be more and more. Lord, why did that happen? Why is this happening? Lord, what about that person? What about this situation? And we don't understand it. But do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God is working in your life? He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't. You know, I like this uh, poem right here. It's called The Weaver. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, my, my life is but a weaving. 
between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful and the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of God and silver in the pattern he has planned. And so, you know, that whole illustration of the, 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 the weaving, you know, and, and you look underneath it and it's just a mass, Right? I think we have a picture of what it looks like underneath these weavings. And so I think it was Corey Tenboon who made this poem famous. And, and you look at that and you're like, Lord, that's weird. It's, it's messy. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, that's my life. I don't understand it. It's not adding up. It doesn't look good. It doesn't seem to be going in the right direction. I mean, I'm lost in this whole spaghetti stuff, right? And that's what it looks like underneath. But then when you look at the other side, look what it has right here. That's what it looks like from God's perspective. And maybe you're going through what you're going through because God is weaving this life that will be filled with rewards and the crowns, the crowns you will receive one day that will be yours forever and that you'll cast at Jesus' feet and will bring him glory. You know, Corey Tenboon is the one who made that poem famous when she put it in her book. Um, and Corey Tenboon was the one you guys know, man. She was uh, there serving the Lord. Hundreds of people were, you know, protected by them as they're doing the right thing. But then eventually the Nazis came in, they arrested them, took them into the worst the concentration camp. Dad died, sister died. Nothing makes sense. Little did she know, I mean, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see now what happened now, the, this, the way that God used her life. You know, and it's interesting, the one who wrote the poem, the guy that wrote the poem, I mean, his dad uh, died, I mean, his mom died when he was two. His dad was uh, um, disabled in the war. He didn't have a stable life. But look what God did. So for us, yeah, right here he's saying, I don't understand it. I'm trying, I'm looking, I'm doing my best. But whenever you come across that which you don't understand, you fall back on what you do understand. God loves me, I know that, and I hope you know that. And God is on the throne. Amen.